Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. Hey, what's up, Jordan? This is podcast episode number 44 for us. So we are uh, getting up into that higher ground as far as the episode totals. Pretty cool that uh, we've been able to uh, go through this journey here this year. And it's especially exciting because we got a really good show, right? I mean, it's to a time. I think we are obligated as members of the sports media community to utilize that phrase as much as possible. But we will get into that Tua Tonga Vailoa being named the starter, at least according to reports, in Miami. So the long-awaited starting debut will be just a couple of weeks away. We're also excited because our guest is a guy who is hoping for a little bit of gold glove love, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, coming off of an incredible season, albeit in an abridged version of the Major League Baseball season. He was just fantastic for the Texas Rangers. Uh, playing primarily third base, the hot corner here this year, uh, put together a great defensive season as well as a really respectable offensive season. So we're going to talk to the Mid-Pacific Institute alum in just a little bit on the show. This is a couple months ago, having this much, this many sports to talk about uh, seemed like a distant dream. And here we are, like immersed in all of this. The World Series is on the horizon. Tua's going to play a football game of worth <laughs> here. You know, I mean, even when you, before the pandemic with the hip injury, like things are, things are looking optimistic here. I, I feel, a, I feel an air of, an air of positivity sweeping mm. over us. Oh, wow. Air of positivity. How, how long has it been since we felt that? I am very excited about this episode for sure, and we'll warm things up as we like to do our little pregame topic, just to kind of nibble a little amuse-bouche here for us to nibble on before we get into some of the prime stuff. Uh, but your favorite World Series play? Yeah, I, I, look, that we've, we've also been lucky here, you know, in Hawaii. Also, you know, Maui sports fans, if you will, uh, to have two guys have pretty large moments in World Series right. over the course of their careers in Shane Victorino and Kurt Suzuki. So I do want to kind of give a little shout to them maybe in a second to see what you have here because we, of course, never plan well uh, and often step on each other's toes in these kinds of situations. But my favorite, of course, Cubs fan is Ben Zobris, double down the left field line, down the third baseline, sneaks it inside after the Cubs blew the lead in Game 7 of the 2016 World Series. Uh, and his double put the Cubs up in the top of the 10th inning, Game 7, against the Indians in 2016 and uh, nearly made me cry. Uh, but that wasn't the end of the game. There was a whole lot more drama to unfold. But yeah, that's, that's the memory that sticks with me is that that was the pinnacle. That was the pinnacle. I was lucky enough to see the, the Cubs win a World Series in my lifetime. Yeah, I'm going to go back to my favorite team winning a World Series in 1986. And you mentioned uh, it was really fantastic to see Shane, Kurt have their World Series moment. Heck, Benny Ogbayani for the Mets in 2000 in the Subway mm -hmm. Series had a big one uh, as well in, the, I believe it was Game 3 when they went back to Shea uh, and had a key hit there. So uh, a lot of the, the Hawaii-born talent 
uh, on display in key World Series moments, uh, always stuff uh, that will stick to our memories indelibly. Uh, and then even in 86, right, you had Sid Fernandez, Kaisergrad, a pitcher for the Mets, who in game seven of that series against the Red Sox, uh, he came in in middle relief and he was shut down and it was fantastic. And it was part of the reason why the Mets were able to turn that game around in a come from behind victory to win the title. But as far as a key play or moment, I mean, it's got to be Buckner, right? Mookie Wilson dribbling a ground ball up the line. It looked like it was going to be over for the Mets, and then the ground ball goes between Buckner's legs. Uh, Ray Knight comes in to score. The Mets win the game. They force a game seven, uh, and they go on to win the championship. So it's got to be that play right there. Uh, I don't think that it was deserving of Bill Buckner being excommunicated forever from the city of Boston until just recently. Uh, But that said, that would have to be the memory. And we'll see if this fall classic provides uh, any of those types of moments that will be all-time discussed uh, here between the Rays and the Dodgers. All right, we welcome you officially to the show. Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And as mentioned, our guest, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, hit 280 this year, had a very respectable 699 OPS, also had a 14-game hit streak over the course of that abridged season. Uh, But it was really in the field where he was absolutely stellar. 957 fielding percentage, only five total errors in 41 starts at third base, zero errors in 15 starts at shortstop. Uh, He's just one of those Swiss Army knife type of utility guys for the Rangers. They can plug him in basically anywhere. Heck, he even has played catcher in his big league career. Uh, So this is a guy who can do a little bit of everything, but he is a candidate for a gold glove award, and I know that he's hoping uh, that maybe that comes to fruition for him. But looking forward to talking with him in just a little bit. What a story he is, right? Kind of under the radar as a recruit coming out of mid-Pacific, gets drafted, kind of rockets up the the minor league system for the Rangers. And and when he got a shot to play, he has not – let that go. I mean, he was their best player this year, you know, for, for a Rangers team that wasn't very good, but they have some decisions to make as to where his future is. Is it a third base? Uh, And of course, if, if he does indeed win a gold glove, uh, it'd be kind of hard to uh, move him from there. Right. I know they've got some young hot prospects coming up uh, at that same position. So he's a guy that's immediately on the rise after this 2020 season where he took off. Looking forward to talking with Izzy in just a little bit, but it is game time. And, of course, we start off with the fact that it is Tua time in Miami. That's right. We get uh, extra cash every time we say the phrase Tua time. It is as uh, ubiquitous a phrase as you will uh, see here throughout the sports world, probably for the next two weeks. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, St. Louis alum, Alabama superstar, has reportedly been slated as the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. He made his debut last weekend, completing both his pass attempts in cruise time, we'll call it, against the Jets. Dolphins have won two straight with Ryan Fitzpatrick as their starter, Jordan, and they're heading into a bye week. So this sort of gives them a little bit of extra time to work a little bit more schematically with Tua specifically. They will face the Rams on the other side of that bye week. What do you make of the call, though, that is officially to a time in Miami? I'm not going to lie. I'm really surprised. I am very, very surprised that they are making this move. Uh, it obviously shows you the kind of confidence that they have in him. Look, the Dolphins are 3-3. Three and three. They're a game back in the East, just one game back behind Buffalo, and that division looks wide open with the way the Patriots are kind of spinning their wheels right now, if not stuck in reverse after that performance against Denver this past weekend. They played Buffalo really tough in week two. They only lost by three, 31-28. I know their three wins are against the Jets, the Jags, and San Francisco, who looks to be a little bit improving, and they've lost their games against the the better teams, if you will, Buffalo, New England, and, of course, Seattle. 
at home. But Fitzpatrick's completing 70% of his passes. The dude's thrown for over 1,500 yards through these first six games. You know, 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Not a great ratio, but he's done a really nice job in exactly, I think, what you expected him to, being the veteran. And it's kind of worked out, right? They haven't had to rush Tua in. They've been able to get him in the game. We saw that for two passes in the, you know, a series or so late in the game, as you pointed out, against the Jets. And I'm like, man, this is, this is working out brilliantly. Get him into some games, mix him in. You got the bye week, and you don't have any pressure to play him. And so that led me to believe we weren't going to see Tua as the starter until maybe next year. But this obviously indicates, one, that he, he is healthy. They obviously put him in the game, and they feel that he can withstand the rigors of that. And two, they feel they're a better team with him at quarterback, right? That has to be the case because you can't do this with a team that's one game out of the, out of the division lead, unless everybody in that building has the sense that, look, we love Ryan Fitzpatrick and he has been nothing but absolutely complimentary of Tua, right? We've seen that. Yeah, you saw him pumping up the crowd uh, there in Miami when he came in the game. Like he seems to be really enjoying taking on the big brother, you know, paternal role of mentor for Tua. Uh, but, I mean, they, they've got a legitimate shot at the playoffs here. They've got a legitimate shot at the division, you know, and I get it. There's, you know, two-thirds of the season left. But, again, the division seems to be pretty wide open. And so if you're making this switch, you've got to believe that Tua gives you a better chance to go win football games against better opponents. And the schedule does get a little tougher here uh, going forward. But I'm pretty shocked. I'm pretty shocked that they're at this point in the season. They're not one in five. They're not 0 in six. They're three and three in a game back with Fitzpatrick playing very well and coming off of a 24 to nothing victory. And they're handing the keys. They're handing the keys to Tua. So that shows you they think the world of this guy and the expectations are pretty high. Clearly, Brian Flores isn't the kind of coach that is, and he's been defiant as far as his response to some of the questions about public pressure to play Tua, whether or not he's influenced by the fact that you have Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, who are already out there as starters and already doing their thing and and looking very promising in those roles. He has been defiant in suggesting that that does not come into play at all when it comes to his decision making. And so it leads you to believe that he was monitoring something else. And I think what it feels like is he was trying to see, all right, what is this team made of? How good are we at certain positions? How good are we in terms of our pass protection? Can we protect this guy who's coming off of this devastating hip injury? Part of that process and and part of the decision is the fact that the Miami Dolphins proved to him over the course of the first six weeks, they're pretty good. They have some weapons. Miles Gaskin has become a legitimate weapon out of the backfield. Devontae Parker is a fantastic receiver putting up really, really good numbers. They have other weapons as well at the tight end position. The offensive line has proven able to protect Ryan Fitzpatrick, who isn't going to necessarily be as mobile a quarterback, dare we say, as Tua Tongvailoa. When Tua is right, right, he knows how to extend plays. He's a little more elusive, certainly, when he takes off with the ball. Uh, And so I, I feel like Brian Flores was trying to make sure that all of those pieces were in the right place Uh, they see him in practice every day I imagine that he's torching it up if they think so highly of him and so I think maybe it was just a matter of Brian Flores getting secure enough to put his star prized high draft pick quarterback in there as the starter you're right they must believe he is the best option and now they're feeling like we're in contention we have a shot at making the playoffs here that we can make this move and it is officially to a time it's pretty wild man yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I think everybody's going to roll with Tua time just because they want to avoid trying to say Tungle Vailoa. <laughs> Marcus Spears on uh, Greeny on the radio earlier today 
little tough time for my guy. little tough time trying to say Tungo Vailoa in there. He just kind of stuck with Tua. They, they have to, right? They have to believe that he is more than ready. Because I, I, I think the points you make about Brian Flores are spot on and proven. Like, we've seen that over the last couple of years. He has been very, very methodical in how he has built this team. He has built the locker room of resolve. That team who kind of tanked, but not really last season, right? How they balanced that, I thought was so impressive. Uh, and, and I think, yeah, I think he's been slowly evaluating, okay, what's this team like? And I think we found out it ain't bad. Like, it's yeah. a pretty decent team. I'm not saying they're going on a, some deep run and making a run to, like, the AFC Championship game, but it is a very serviceable roster. They went on and spent on some free agents, brought some guys, in, particularly on the defensive side of the football and even the offensive line, as you pointed out. So, yeah, I, I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you're ecstatic right now because the guy you wanted is in there for a team that's at 500. That isn't just bringing up the rear. That isn't throwing him to the wolves, say, like a Joe Burrow or mm-hmm. something like that. And we've seen what a talented rookie quarterback with a pretty good roster can do and what the Chargers have been able to pull off with Herbert. I know not winning games, but being very competitive. What do we do now with the expectations? Because you have Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post who is suggesting that Tua is now positioned to inherit the role of the next Miami superstar, a la Dwayne Wade, a la LeBron James when he was there. That is a lot to put on the lap of this rookie. And and obviously, to this point, Tua has seemed like he is absolutely ready-made to take on those kinds of expectations and challenges. He has done it throughout his prep college and now pro career to this point. Uh, But what do we make of these expectations? Because they are awfully high. And Joe Shad is suggesting that, you know, this is about to be a rocket ship to stardom taking off here. Uh, And that first game, just a reminder to uh, in a couple of weeks now, they do have the bye week, but he's going to be going face to face with Aaron Donald. So it's going to be a very quick christening, if you will, to that starting quarterback role. But what do you make of the expectation factor here for Tua? Yeah, I think it's higher than if he had come in on a one in five team that wasn't doing so well and, and sort of came in and he's like, you know, he's the savior, but we, we don't expect a ton right away. Uh, I think by making this move off of a couple of consecutive wins off of a situation where you're just a game back in the division like that, that raises the expectations. I mean, heck, you got Rick Ross out there putting <laughs> shout outs on social media like Miami the culture is embraced to already and now he's the starter uh, and, and can rock it up there, right? They expect him to be Dan Marino like uh, in terms of obviously performance, but stature, I think in that city, which has, it's a star driven city, right? We know that uh, not just on the, on the field of play, but in entertainment and every other such pop culture uh, realms, if you will. And so two has been a guy who's had the spotlight on him, since, you know, honestly, since he was in high school, you know, and then at Alabama, where he sort of transformed the identity of that Nick Saban program and, and embraced offense there. Uh, and obviously coming into the national title game as a freshman and winning it in the second half in overtime. So, you know, he, he's a guy who's used to the spotlight uh, and is used to high expectations pretty much wherever he's gone. This is different. Obviously, this is the National Football League where you got to put up or shut up, right? Uh, But I I do think it's as ideal leading up to him getting on the field, I think, as possible. But it also then raises the bar Mm -hmm. because it has led to this point in the path that it has taken. It's set up quite nicely for him and the Dolphins. Now they got to go out and take advantage of the circumstance, I think, that they found themselves in and built 
and get credit for, I think, putting themselves in that situation. Yeah, it's kind of cool when you think about it, right? Like this, this is what all the hype and the buildup has led to. And here we are on the verge of seeing it become a reality to a Tonga Vailoa at the highest level of the game. Uh, and like I said, he's going to be going up against Aaron Donald. That's going to be a, a, perhaps a rude awakening here. You got to get used to tracking that dude while you're making your decisions as a starting quarterback. But when you just think about the fact that he is now going to be in these positions in the quarterback matchups that will take place down the road, right? You got Jared Goff in that first one in a couple of weeks, but then later on this season, we will be seeing Tua taking on Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, a couple other rookies that were drafted high in the uh, previous NFL draft, Patrick Mahomes, Cam Newton. Like these are some of the quarterback matchups for Tua coming on here this season and just kind of getting into the reality of that and the realization of that. Uh, it is definitely exciting uh, for this brother from Eva Beach. All right, so we go from going with Tua to the question of going for Tua. I only said it that way, even though I actually meant the number two, because we saw a pair of, let's say, interesting decisions to go for two in the NFL this past weekend. Riverboat Ron Rivera, as he is uh, <laughs> painstakingly known, uh, and the Washington football team went for two instead of kicking a would-be game-tying extra point against the Giants. They didn't get it. They lost. He rolled the dice. He played for the win. He defended that decision. So be it. Romeo Crennel's Houston Texans team took a seven-point lead late against the Titans, and instead of kicking the PAT, which would have put them up eight, he went for two, which would have put the lead out of reach and would have guaranteed them, uh, or at least all but guaranteed them, the victory. Tennessee, though, because they were down just seven, drove the field for the game-tying TD, extra point. They forced overtime, and the Titans would win in the extra frame. Most analytical minds seem to think that these were sound decisions to go for two in those situations. I'm curious to know if you agree with that. Yeah, I am in agreement in this situation. You know, there, there's a lot of talk, right? The, the analytics of football, when to go for it on fourth down, when to go for two after scoring a touchdown. And I don't always agree necessarily with some of the math that these guys are crunching. I think in certain situations, especially when you're down like 15, you score a touchdown, do you kick? The, those are different situations. But I think in these two instances, I agree wholeheartedly. First with Ron Rivera, you're in a situation where there's not a lot to lose your team has fought back in this situation. It was an ugly game, obviously. And you got a chance to win the football game. Instead of going to overtime and you, you ride on the flip of a coin, like go ahead and try and win that game. Now, the other counter argument is, you know, this, this division, two wins, you know, would get you in first place like the Dallas Cowboys, the only team with two wins. And so maybe, you know, you're playing for a little bit more. Maybe there is more to lose if you're this Washington football team. But I think in that situation, you got to play to try and win the game. And I think it's exactly the same scenario in the other game with Houston and Tennessee. And this Houston team that started, what, 0-4 is trying to battle back. Romeo Cornell is the interim head coach. They haven't done anything to stop Tennessee in this ballgame. And they got an opportunity to go from 7-up to 9-up and put it in the bag. Because odds are, with Derrick Henry running all over your defense – with Ryan Tannehill throwing all over your defense, they weren't stopping him, right? And then you can argue, hey, then it comes down to stopping a two-point conversion on the other end. So it's like, look, do I want to try and score a two-point conversion or do I want to put my money in trying to stop a two-point conversion on the other end? And, of course, the Titans went right down, scored a touchdown, obviously won the coin flip, finished it off in overtime. Uh, but for another team in, in Houston that was, you know, a bit overmatched, and I think you might as well try and put the game down. 
I question, I think particularly the Romeo Cronell decision, the wisdom behind that. Uh, I, I think what is being measured so much now is like win probability. So if you were to look at just the mere percentage point differences between kicking the PAT there, going for two there, not making the PAT, like the percentage difference or differential between all of those options as far as the win probability at that point in the game isn't that distinct. I mean, that's, it's not that much of a deviation. Uh, but then you also then factor in the calculation of roughly just over 50% probability to successfully convert a two-point play. So if, if that's the math, why wouldn't you then put that challenge of just over 50% success rate on the Titans and have them have to deal with that pressure to try to tie the game if you kick the extra point. Now, there's no guarantee that you even make the extra point in this day and age with the longer distance. You know, we've seen some misses there. So that's something that should factor in as well. But, you know, when you're talking about win probability, whether or not to go for one or go for two, my thinking is if you go for one right there, you may not guarantee that you win the game, but you kind of guarantee that you won't lose it. That said, why not put that kind of pressure on the Titans to have to drive the field knowing that not only do they got to get into the end zone, but they're going to have to convert a two-point conversion as well. I understand the analytics. I understand some of the math percentages that are considered when it comes to that kind of decision. But in that particular case, uh, I'd be looking to guarantee that I can't lose it in regulation and maybe think like, all right, well, maybe the, the one element of this equation that can't be calculated is Ryan Tannehill and that offense having to deal with that little extra added layer of pressure, knowing that they would have to convert a two-point conversion, which is not nearly as high a success rate as kicking a PAT. So that would be the only thing that I would think of. All right, fan-free at Aloha Stadium as we switch it over to some college football talk, citing state and county restrictions on public group gatherings. Fans will not be allowed into Aloha Stadium for UH football home games this year, Jordan. Now, difficult circumstances call for difficult decisions. How does this particular decision strike you? Uh, you know, for especially the state of Hawaii, right, and, and obviously the the stadium sitting at the city, sitting within the city and county of Honolulu, which has had the most cases of any county in the, the state, of any island in the state. Um, you know, it's the most populous. It is the most dense, especially in, you know, the greater metropolitan area where Aloha Stadium sits. I mean, it makes sense, right? We're, we're, we're seeing other things starting to open up. We're seeing some of the restrictions lessen when it comes to different factors uh, of large gatherings. But you, you, you are always going to err on the side of the most precaution. And heck, we're already seeing it, right? We already saw today the first cancellation of the Mountain West season it hasn't even started yet. New Mexico and Colorado State called off. And so for the University of Hawaii, I think it's an agreement where, you know, it's public safety while also, you know, maybe giving them the best chance to play as many games as possible. And of course, that first home game is supposed to be against New Mexico, which is the team that it's that's in the most dire straits right now, uh, having to call off that game against the Rams this weekend. So it, it makes sense. It's a bummer for fans, you know, especially season ticket holders who have been the most diehard. There haven't been huge crowds at Aloha Stadium, but the crowds that do go are very loyal. You know, that 15,000 or so of, you know, the, the ones that are there every single week. You aren't going to be able to tailgate, which is a big part of the experience anyway. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's rough, but I think it's it's probably the smart decision and, and one you kind of just have to to go with in this situation. 
Yeah, I mean, speaking of the team, their two-deep depth chart was released here earlier this week. And no big surprises. We already knew Chevin Cordero was going to be the guy at QB. They have a ton of experience returning on the offensive line. They have key defensive players who are back in their expected positions. But uh, what stood out to you, perhaps, among the depth chart and the starters that are expected to uh, be out there on the field uh, when they open things up at Fresno? Yeah, defensively, it really stood out to me. Um Partly the personnel uh, in terms of names, but also sort of the the structure and scheme, if you will. We're, we're curious, right? What is this offense going to look like? What is this defense going to look like? That it has always been a ball-hawking, turnover-producing defense in Todd Graham's stops along his coaching career. Uh, you know, and they, they look to be very versatile. I mean, we've got guys in different positions that we listed on paper than we have seen them in the past whether it's Darius Muasal listed at defensive end and not middle linebacker, Pane Pavihi as well listed at defensive end. Those two guys go, you know, 230 and 245 at the ends. Corey Bethley, who is a really good safety, a really good strong safety, is listed as a linebacker. So you're seeing guys playing a little closer to the line of scrimmage. It's sort of, you know, is it a 3-4? Is it a 4-3? I look at this thing and I, I think 3-3-5, three, three, quite honestly. Hmm. Uh, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of in a nickel package anyway, Kai Kaneshiro obviously makes that transition to safety as well from corner uh, where he kind of came into the program a couple of years ago out of St. Louis school. Uh, so I, I think it's a very versatile defense. It's a light defense for sure. Uh, but I think it's one that you could see be very multiple. I, I think that is designed to play against a lot of modern spread offenses uh, like the University of Hawaii is going to throw out there on the other side of the football. So I'm fascinated to see because this what it looks like on paper in terms of the two deep, that's not what it's going to look like down to down on defense. It's going to be very multiple, very, very downhill. And I'm, I'm excited, I think, uh, to see what kind of creativity this group puts together with Coach Santa Cruz and Coach Graham on that side of the football. And then offensively, I think the depth, right? You look at the guys who are listed as second string, both on the offensive line and at receiver, uh, and they've got, a, they've got a lot of talent on that side of the football, on the offensive side of the football that they can go to. Fill in. I mean, Michael Elatise is not even a starter on this team at guard uh, and, and some of the guys that they've got filling in and then offensively receiver. I mean, they go pretty much too deep at all four receiver positions. And a lot of those guys will see the field. Like, you, you know, you're not just trotting four receivers out there. Guys will rotate in, I think, at the tempo that they want to play at as well. Yeah, showing some belief in a guy like Lincoln Victor right in his second year who is listed in front of Melky Stovall, who is already established as a very talented receiver, just kind of goes to show the depth. Uh, like you mentioned on defense, it, it kind of reminds me of the philosophy back in the June Jones days of, all right, let's try to increase our speed. So we took linebackers, we made them DNs, we took guys who were safeties, made them linebackers, uh, and we just tried to create as much speed out there on the field as possible. And, and this does, at least on paper in terms of the listing of positions it does take that on right Corey Bethley is a linebacker here in this depth chart uh, it does indicate that they are looking to do that increase speed so that they can play that sideline to sideline style that uh, coach Graham always loves to talk about all right, well, we'll talk a little baseball here with our next guest. Uh, it is time for our Domino's Hawaii main topping. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa coming off of a great season with the Texas Rangers. He is back home, and we're excited to chat with him. So let's go ahead and play that right now. Hey, what's up, Isaiah? Good seeing you, man. Uh, welcome back home. From what I understand, you're, you're back in the islands. What was that process like uh, going through the rigors of travel from the continent to the islands? Yeah, um, it was tough. Uh, the state has uh, all the requirements and all their testing requirements. Uh, we have to get tested by CVS a couple of days before. Um, actually, we got two tests because uh, the one I took from the Rangers actually didn't go through. 
So our, our did go through, I'm sorry, but um, I guess the state wouldn't take it. So I ended up getting the CVS test, two negatives, and, uh, you know, I'm ready to roll. So just happy to be back home and, uh, you know, enjoy paradise. Yeah. What's it kind of feel like when you, you put in the work for another season of professional baseball and then you get a chance to kind of just settle back at home for a little bit? What does that usually feel like? Uh, it feels good. Um, you have about two weeks to, to, to sit back, relax, and, um, you know, you got to do it all over again. Uh, that's the hard thing about, you know, being a professional athlete. Um, I had the luxury to be around some, you know, some of the great guys of, uh, you know, that came up through Hawaii and Kirby Yates uh, talked to me last year after the all-star season. And he was like, uh, you know, a great season this year, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the cool thing and bad thing about this game is you got to do it again. So, you know, um, got to enjoy this last week of relaxing and, um, you know, get right back to it. What does getting right back to it entail? Is that just getting back to, to working out? Uh, what, what, what is involved with that uh, getting back to it? Um, I think more from, uh, from, from right now, um, this is my first year playing every day in the infield. So, um, you know, my body was a little banged up a little bit. Uh, I took a lot of swings, you know, there's some points in the year where you struggle a little bit. So instead of, you know, backing off, you start swinging more and, um, you know, later on, you know, like right now, that's when, uh, those extra swings are catching up to you. So I guess right now is more of a time for me to just sit back, get my body together and just be ready to get back to in the weight room. Well, it definitely felt from the outside looking in like you turned a corner in a sense in your career here this season. Obviously, you would have loved for more team success, but individually, uh, it feels like you, you, you made some strides. Did that feel that way to you as well? Yeah, um, it was, this is a huge year for me. Um, I've been working my butt off just to get an opportunity. Um, I actually got an opportunity last year as a catcher, but that's not something that you know I, I'm very familiar with. So just being able to get an opportunity in the infield where I'm most comfortable, uh, you know, where I've trained my whole life for that opportunity, uh, I was able to come through. But, um, you know, like I said before, I got to do it all over again. So that, that process starts again soon. But, um, you know, this is the last couple of days where I can kind of just enjoy, um, think about everything I did and all the success I had this year. And, um, you know, right now it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. Yeah, how, how much did, did sort of having a, a home that you were used to at third base – uh, carry over to your success at the plate this season? It was huge. Um, not having to, you know, uh, not having to go over the game plans. You know, uh, catching was already hard enough for me, blocking the ball, framing, especially with the new data that uh, everybody has and, and people are able to see. Um, it was tough for me, but uh, I was able to put myself first and not, not the pitchers. So I think that really benefited uh, me mentally. And um, the numbers showed. So it was a good thing. But I was also really happy that I got to learn the, the, the ways behind the plate and, and just what goes on back there. Yeah, and obviously, defensively at third base, you were, you were spectacular. I mean, you, you, you even put it out there. You know, you, you were chasing a gold glove. And, and I think the numbers back it up assuredly. Uh, what did you felt that you brought defensively to that hot corner position that, that you could really exploit if you got a chance to, to play every day? Yeah, um, I always felt like my glove was elite. Um, coming up, you know, through mid-pack, I was always a smaller guy. Um, my hitting was never really there. It was always there. Um, I could hit the ball in the four-hole. I could hit the ball in the middle. Um, I knew how to place the ball, and I knew how to work at bats. I knew how to bunt, just play the game. Um, I always look up to Ozzie Smith, so just I wanted to be a shortstop first. And um, just, just having that mentality of, of being a defender first, you know, really gave, really helped me when I got the opportunity this year. Uh, didn't really matter where on the infield. I just wanted to wanted it to be somewhere. 
but just um, you know, just having that familiar, uh, familiarity and the confidence of of knowing, you know, I've worked on this my whole life rather than catching, you know, I only had two or three years. So just having the the confidence of of, of being a big league infielder rather than being a okay catcher, you know, that really changed my mindset and really helped me attack balls that I really didn't think I could get to. Well, it's created quite a luxury for the club to be able to use you in, in different positions. I think you started 15 games at shortstop, the rest of them at, at third base. And uh, they have some talent in the farm system that's looking to come up and it could make things on that side of the infield a bit crowded as well. So uh, there is some discussion from what I gather about next year, uh, maybe involving, even if you do win a gold glove, a bit of a position adjustment. How open to that are you under the circumstances? Yeah, um, I think at, at this point in my career, uh, I'm going into my fourth year. So I think at this point, uh, instead of, you know, just establishing yourself, you start going into how are you going to win a ring? Um, and looking at the guys in our minor league system, we got some some good prospects in the infield, uh, some good, some really good hitters in the outfield as well. We also got some some good veteran guys. So just, you know, how the game is going in, in, a, in a weird way, in a good way, I should say. Um, you look at the Dodgers guys and, and they're moving around all over the place. And they're just worried about winning. They have their guys in the lineup and they shuffle them around. But those guys do anything they can to to win. And it's been showing year after year. They've, they've come up short. But, um, you know, having our coach from from that organization, he kind of brings that same philosophy. So, um, you know, it's just more so of, of giving the coach another option. And I think the more options you can give the coach, the, the more playing time you'll get. So at the end of the day, that's that's all that matters. Yeah, I saw you said something interesting as well. Uh, basically, with all the shifting that takes place now in Major League Baseball, it, it's we can't really consider those positions in the traditional sense anymore, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually kind of worried about the, all the gold glove, voting, uh, gold glove voting. And, you know, the UZR was kind of just based off where you play. But looking back uh, of, of my positioning this year, I don't know how, how much I actually played third base. You know, I was playing second deep second base as a third baseman um I was playing uh shortstop as a third baseman so it was just it was just weird I mean I don't think you actually play in your normal position I think it's more of just where do you feel the most ground balls rather than you know being your your regular third baseman your regular shortstop so I think uh going forward you're just gonna have guys out there that could field the ball and you know your whatever spot you hit in the lineup is what you hit in the lineup but there's not gonna be like your shortstop is this guy third base is the power guy it's just going to be all mixed up based on what you what your value is. Yeah, ver- versatility is the key for sure. Um, take us back to spring training this past season. I mean, you had a really good spring, and then things got shut down, and then you got to start it back up again. I mean, how hard was it to sort of have that momentum just absolutely stopped and then rev it back up again once you guys got the go-ahead? Yeah, I mean, uh, spring training, I felt like uh, Randy Rosarena. Like, I, I felt like I was on top of the world. Um, I think – I hit four home runs within a week. Um, I, I made some major swing adjustments that I didn't think were going to, you know, make a difference so quick. But, um, you know, it was tough because I was feeling so good. And, and to have to go home and, and find a place to work out, find a cage, build a cage, and just like have your friends come around with all the restrictions, it was tough. But, um, you know, it, it really killed momentum. But just having a good group of friends and being able to come home during the quarantine really helped me. Um, stay focused and and just keep my head head down and keep working. Yeah, were you uh, surprised at all as to kind of picking it right back up when you got back in? Uh, you mentioned you know some swing adjustments. I mean, that's I got to imagine that's a lot going on, and then having that layoff. But 
but did you expect to kind of go and pick it right back up once you guys got uh, back into things in the summer? Yeah, 100%. I, I felt like I was ready. Um, you know, Darren at Tactical Strength, uh, you know, kept a, kept a little part of his gym open for me um, in, in his home. So we were able to just, you know, it was like three of us, but we were able to get, get our work done without breaking any restrictions, any of the laws. So, you know, I was just thankful for that. But when I got back, it was it was weird because we had to face our pitchers. You know, you're going to spring training, competing for a job, and uh, having to go against your own pitchers. It was kind of a weird feeling. But at that point, it was, uh, do you want to play or do you not want to play? So, you know, I had to, to give it to some of our guys, and they gave it to me. But um, at the end of the day, it made us all better. Well, again, it was a great sort of all-around effort uh, and performance on your part. But uh, defensively in the field, you were at or near the top in just about every important defensive metric, especially for third basemen. Uh, and so for the individual accolades that sometimes come along with that, right, the gold glove honors and that kind of consideration, how much importance does that claim, at least from your perspective? Like how much would that mean to you to win a gold glove? Uh, it would mean the world. Um, last year, having to do what I had to do, um, I felt like sometimes I didn't get the respect I deserved in the infield. That was kind of the thing. Um, my rookie year, I felt like I had a great rookie year. Um, I felt like I, I really showed them that I could be a, a top top tier infielder. But uh, I don't know. I think they saw it a different way, and they decided to put the catching gear on me, um, slowed me down a little bit, and you know, I got to a point last year where I just wasn't having the same amount of fun, and, and I had to express myself and we kind of came to the decision to put me back on the infield and for me to to win a gold glove after you know I stepped up for myself and kind of just wanted to do something for myself rather than you know team first team first all the time but at the same time you know like to help the team you got to be at your best and for me my best wasn't at catchers in the infield so for them to put me back on the infield and for me to to take that award home would mean the world to me just to to show, you know, who I am and what I can really do. It seems interesting because it, it sounds like there was a lot of dialogue between you and the organization about exactly how best to utilize your talents. And, and so for them to ultimately agree and for management to ultimately agree and say, all right, yeah, let's put you back on the infield and for it to work out for you in the way that it did, uh, how much has that added to maybe the trust level in terms of your communication with your manager and with the rest of the organization? Uh, I mean, it's huge. It, 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 it's crazy because it's almost like you're switching the, turning the page from being a, a rookie young guy to, you know, a younger vet. So I think having that trust and, and them actually agreeing to do it with me and, and seeing, you know, how much it took off really shows that, you know, it's a, this is a, a player's game. And, you know, if, if you can get on the same page and, as a player and, and the coach and you can work together, you know, you can do, do special things, you know, sometimes you got to stick up for yourself. And, you know, that's a lesson I want guys to know that, you know, is, you know, what's best for you. So, you know, don't, you know, you only have so much time on, in this world or a window of playing this game. So you got to take advantage of every opportunity you have. And I didn't want to waste any time. So I had to stick up for myself and I'm glad I did. And I think, you know, fairly or not, you know, Hawaii guys often get painted with, look, we're going to keep our heads down. We're not going to make waves. We're not going to speak out. Uh, we're just going to go about and do our job. I mean, was that something that was a little uncomfortable for you? Or has that kind of been, you know, your personality? Like, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to fight for my, my spot, my worth in that situation. Yeah, um, you know, that's, that's part of it. But you're looking around. My rookie year, I got Adrian Beltre, Cole Hamels, Bartolo Colon, Elvis Andrews, just top tier players. So 
for me to, to speak up and say something when I haven't done anything in the game was tough for me. But um, just just having having that experience playing with them, I knew what I could do. You know, you see those guys, the Hall of Famer, Adrian Beltre, play third base. And I knew he was better than me, but I knew I wasn't far behind defensively. Um, so just, just to see that really actually helped me, you know, have the confidence to speak up for myself. But at the same time, when I was younger, it was like, I'm not going to say anything because I'm looking around and there's a bunch of Hall of Famers here and I'm just this, this little dude. So it, it was tough for me. But uh, just having those guys, the experience you gain and the knowledge you, you gain just from watching them is unbelievable. Yeah, and, and going back to your days at, at Mid-Pacific, maybe flying a little under the radar in terms of, a, you know, prospect status and even, you know, on the collegiate radar. Uh, w- was this always something that you expected to get to in terms of where you're at now, playing every day in the major leagues? But was that always something that, that you felt like, hey, this was, this was going to be it for me? Yeah, I just wanted to establish myself. You know, you see a lot of guys from Hawaii and it's like, there's a lot of good baseball players. We have a really, we have a really, really, really good level of baseball down in Hawaii. Um, and it gets looked down upon because sometimes the pitching isn't hard enough or, you know, it's just, we, we don't have enough eyes. So just for me to get there, it was really for the, our younger generation and for our state. I wanted to show everybody that what Shane did, what Kurt did, Colton and everybody before, you know, is doable. Um, you know, I'm just a, normal kid for mid-pack uh yeah i didn't get too many offers two three offers to college no offer to uh and for me to be even in the conversation of winning a gold glove uh i mean that's that's huge and it just shows that if you really want to be a baseball player from hawaii you just got to do it i mean it's it's out there and, and anything's possible we're talking with isaiah kiner falefa you mentioned some of the other names how tight is that fraternity of of local brothers in major league baseball uh, you know i met you the last time i saw you uh was at kurt suzuki's fundraising charity event uh, over in wailea so i know that there is a relationship there for sure how tight is uh, the bond between all of the local players that are playing in the bigs um it's really tight um you know coming up from hawaii i think the label that you know sometimes we're given and it's, it's kind of that we're troublemakers in a way um, and, and just we can't be away from home and, and we can't, you know, like it's just I hear so much of that from scouts and from people um, and we all know, we all hear it. So what we want to do as, as, you know, the current professional baseball players from Hawaii is we want to change that narrative. Uh, you see Colton winning the Gold Glove last year. You see Colt winning the World Series. I mean, uh, Kurt winning the World Series, I'm sorry. You see Shane, four gold gloves, two World Series, I think. I mean, his list goes on and on. And for me to be in the conversation this year, if I could bring it home, that'd be huge. But it just shows that, I mean, we got good ball players, and, and, and all of us got great character. So we're just trying to do everything we can to change that narrative so the younger generation has an opportunity. But at the same time, we need help from the younger generation when they go on these trips um, to really, you know, to really understand that – it how hard it was for us. Cause you know, I had a lot of friends before me that should have had opportunities, but didn't get the opportunity because of, you know, past labels and, you know, past mistakes other people have made. So we're just trying everything we can to, you know, change that about Hawaii so that more kids get the opportunity and we get more, uh, you know, hyphenated names out there on jerseys <laughs> in the big leagues. So that'd be pretty cool to see. So I'm just trying to do everything I can to give back and, and give us, give our uh, people an opportunity. I love that. Representing the hyphen. I love that. Uh, definitely. Uh, the game is amazing to me because, you know, we're seeing the evolution. You know, we talk about the shifting and obviously the applied analytics and metrics changes a little bit of the math and strategy as well. 
but we're also just seeing so many arms in the league. Like every team just has this massive stable of guys that are blowing like 97 miles an hour with movement. Like it's insane. What is it like for you to sort of be experiencing this this change? I mean, your your career is is straddling basically what has been, I think, a huge leap in the last five years, uh, and really going back to since you got drafted, of of that kind of characteristic that most of the teams have. Yeah, I think uh, right now the younger guys that are coming up are the first guys to actually, um, you know, have the biomechanics uh, and and actually be able to make the adjustments before they get to the big leagues. So when you get to the big leagues, you're seeing these guys do things that we've never seen before. So at the same time, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy learning experience. But, you know, to really keep up in this game, you really got to outsmart the other team at this point. Um, you got to know what pitch is coming. You got to know what type of pitches the pitcher has. You got to look for little things, uh, how he holds his glove, if he's tipping a pitch. I mean, you know, like if you go up with no plan, it's uh, one, two, three, and – you know, you got to go grab your glove and play defense. But, uh, you know, if, if you can pick up the little things and, um, you know, all, all the stuff that people don't see, it's, it's, that's what's going to make the difference. You see teams giving signs from second base and all types of things. But, you know, like you, that's what you need to win at this level. It's just the pitch is too good. So you got to do everything you can and, and anything you can to find a way on base. Is there a guy that you faced here so far, whether it's this season or, or just throughout your career, where you're like, okay, that's some of the nastiest stuff I've ever seen. Like, I, I'm not that. That is pretty unfair an advantage for the pitcher. Yeah, last year uh, I was actually glad this year that we only played in the West. Last year it was uh, Glasnow, Glasnow, whatever, you, however you say. He's a uh, he's gonna be just. We'll see him in the World Series, but man, uh, I I didn't know what to do with his vods. I thought I saw it down the middle, and next thing you know, it's a curveball on the plate, and I thought the ball was over my head, and it was right down the middle. So, I mean, that guy is going to put on a show, so it'll be good, good to see. Yeah, he's got the ball today uh, as we record this on Tuesday um, in game one of the World Series for the Rays. Have you been following uh, the postseason at all? Yeah, I've been following it. Uh, it's actually in our stadium, so I kind of right. picture myself uh, in a uniform and, and kind of just picture myself on that stage. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're really trying to get to. We're, we're trying to establish ourselves in the big leagues, but I think uh, no one wants to retire without a ring. So just to just to see the you know the World Series in our home stadium, um, and to see our fans in there actually is pretty cool. Yeah, how how um how is that stadium? Beautiful. It's a it's beautiful. It's a palace. Um, the infield was great this year, especially with the turf uh, the turf grass. Um, I really love that playing third base. Um, and you know, just normally with the with the heat, you get those day games in Texas, and, and the dirt turns brutal, and uh, it's just hot. So um, just having the roof closed, I'm not changing my jersey every third inning, and having to change my shoes and socks. So it's nice to just be in, in comfortable weather. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have an inkling as to how this World Series is going to play out? Since we got you on here, they're playing in your backyard. Um, we'll see if, if the roof is closed, it's going to be a defensive game for sure. But if it's open, it's been windy and uh, less humid. So the ball's been, been jumping. Uh, you know, we didn't hit too many home runs. We thought it was, it was a huge field. Uh, you know how MLB is, um, you know, we saw the roof open on every single game. The roof wasn't closed once. So, you know, they want to see a bunch of home runs. And if it goes that way, I'm, I'm leaning a little more towards the Rays. But at the same time, I, I really want it to uh, stay in the West because that's where we played this year. We only played NL West and AL West. So if the Dodgers can bring it, it kind of just shows, um, you know, that we had a tougher division than anybody else, especially having uh, Houston, Oakland, 
the Padres, uh, all in the playoffs. So hopefully they can uh, just bring it home for that West. Yeah, you, you got you actually got to play the Dodgers a, a few times. Uh, what 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 was that team like uh, with with all their arms in that lineup? I mean, it was crazy. Uh, you know, seeing Mookie in that blue, it was really weird. You know, but um, I think uh, the big difference this year was having no fans. Um, you know, teams like the Dodgers, Yankees. The moment you you hear their fans, um, it's it's a, just a different environment, and it's uh, something you don't you know you don't feel all the time. So. Just those teams not having their uh, their fans really evens the playing field, especially for uh, you know the team like the Rays. So we'll see how this series goes. Were you ever like a Rangers fan when you were younger? Like, did you follow that team prior to your connection uh, with them as a professional? Yeah, I was. Um, I never really had a team growing up. Um, I was a Yankees fan just because I went to Cooperstown and, and we got to see them live. Um, but I, I didn't really have a team um, until. You know, I remember watching Nelly Cruz, Josh Hamilton, and those 2010, 2011 Rangers. And, you know, just the amount of fun they had and they brought that kind of, you know, it was hard not to like those teams. So just to get drafted to those teams while those guys were, um, you know, they were still around, you know, it really gave me a sense of pride. And, and I'm really happy, especially because, uh, you know, I had an older cousin, Kea Komatani. Uh, he, he actually played for um, the Rangers coming up to the system. So just, you know, getting drafted by the same team was, was pretty cool. What is your contract situation uh, currently uh, as it pertains to the Rangers? Uh, this is going to be my uh, first year going to arbitration. So it'll be first year out of three years. Um, hopefully it goes well. Um, it's going to be a little weird just because it's a 60-game season. We don't really know how they're going to play it out. But um, I did everything I could to um, put my stamp on it, and uh, hopefully it works out. Well, you definitely did, man. And you made everyone back home really proud of your performance and uh, definitely gold glove worthy. That's for sure. You put in the work and, and we can't uh, thank you enough for spending a little time talking about it with us. Uh, enjoy your time back home and uh, best of luck, man. Keep in touch. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Big thanks once again to Isaiah Kiner for Leffa. Always great talking with him. And uh, we wish him the best here moving forward and continued success uh, when they get back out onto the field for the regular season next year. All right. Time for our post game best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit Waste ProHawaii.com for services information. All right, Jordan, let's start with our worsts here for this episode of the podcast. What's your worst? Yeah, my worst uh, is kind of bittersweet. Uh, I don't know how much hockey you watch or our listeners take in, but Doc Emmerich, who's been sort of the voice of the NHL on NBC, and to me, one of the best play-by-play guys, any sport, anywhere, you can absolutely listen to uh, just announced his retirement. He's been at it for like 40 something years, a uh, huge hockey guy. His use of the English language is something to behold. Like you watch a game and just listen to all the verbs he uses to describe the action on the ice. It, it, it's something that I think, you know, guys in our profession sort of marvel at. Uh, and so kudos to him. Great for doc that he's getting to retire, but I'm, I'm pretty bummed, you know, this uh, to me, honestly, one of the best, uh, at, at a play-by-play, no matter what sport. So, uh, congrats to Doc Emmerich on his retirement. But as a as a fan, I'm kind of I'm kind of selfishly sad to see him go. 
Always tough to see the legends walk away. Uh, I've long thought that those hockey announcers were the best in the business. It's such a fast-moving game. It's so hard to follow, even if you're watching on TV at home. And so for them to be able to always be so on point with the action, uh, it is remarkable without a doubt. So a good one there uh, as far as you mentioned. My worst, uh, I'm talking about crazy fans here. University of Tennessee football fan lost it during the Vols' blowout defeat at the hands of Kentucky and in the process lost his wife at least for the time being. Yes, his wife, a guy calling into the Tony Basilio show uh, on radio, admitted that he got upset during the game and threw a beer bottle through a window. Uh, he said at one point his wife packed up some stuff and left to go stay at her mom's for a few weeks. Understanding the significance of this, the caller said he then texted his wife and told her, blame it on Jarrett Guarantano, the Volunteers quarterback. <laughs> Guarantano did throw two pick sixes, but uh, probably not something uh, to potentially end your marriage over. But hey, look, uh, we can't argue that this guy is uh, not a passionate Vols fan. So there you go. Craziness in football fandom. Yeah, maybe maybe don't put as much stock on like a 22-year-old's performance. Like maybe, maybe that shouldn't be as important a part of your life, you know, that it ruins your marriage. Yeah. And also uh, cans. Maybe, maybe canned beer uh, next time would uh, help out a little Good bit call. too. All right. What's your best? Yeah, my best. I don't know if you've seen this. It was kind of making the rounds on Twitter. It's straight out of the Chinese Professional Baseball League. That's the Taiwanese League uh, that's kind of flown under the radar. They, they started about the same time as the KBO, but they didn't get the ESPN contract. So nobody paid attention to these guys. Uh, che Swan Lin, the center fielder for the Fubon Guardians. Fubon Guardians, one of those teams there in Taiwan, robbing a home run. From a batter, I, I didn't get the batter's name, but he plays for the Uni President Lions. That's the team name. Uh, and goes up, absolute highway robbery. I mean, Mookie Betts back mm -hmm. up and over the fence, gloves it, except he didn't act like he gloved it. Kind of had a whole hum, like, oh, man, I missed it. And the guy's rounding the bases, celebrating, thought he had taken the lead for the Lions. He gets all the way to third base, and then Lynn, the center fielder for the Guardians, kind of plucks the ball out of his glove and tosses it back in. And the guy never noticed that he's running back into the dugout and everybody in the dugout's telling him like, no, 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 you're out. <laughs> uh, and it was the greatest slow roll troll job I have ever seen. And we talk about pimping home runs and bat yeah. flips. Like this was one of the coolest things I've ever seen by Chase Swan Lin with this robbery. If you haven't seen it, go check it out on Twitter. Just absolutely played it off as cool as can be like, wait until the guy was almost by third. And he's like, oh, look what I got in my glove. Here you go. Yeah, that guy's definitely going to get thrown at if that were played in the United <laughs> States. There's no doubt about it. But you got to love it. You got to love the slow play. Uh, you got to love the psych job. Uh, that's good performance art right there. Uh, speaking of performance art, my best has to do with Aaron Rodgers performing a touchdown celebration that paid homage to the Key and Peel sketch featuring fictional football star and notorious pelvic thruster Hingle McCringleberry who was known to push the boundaries of excessive celebrations, always got flagged, always got penalized. It was really, really funny. Maybe made a, less, a little less funny uh, by the fact that the Bucks rallied and whooped on the Packers in that game. But in the moment, it was job well done by Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, could the worst have also been just the follow-up after that? Like, it all went downhill. Yeah. It all went downhill after yeah. that. They also ruled him down because yeah. they said he gave himself up trying to score a touchdown. That's the stupidest rule ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then and then it just it, – it, I was shocked at how that game played out uh, <laughs> afterward. But, yeah, you got to give it to Rod. He's always – Rodgers is always a little snarky, right? He's kind of a, a wisecrack, um, much to the chagrin of many of his opponents. But 
it was it was very clever. And I, I love that Rodgers is always having a little fun out there. Yeah, even though it didn't count. And it came in a loss. All right. <laughs> it could have been our best and worst, uh, that particular touchdown celebration moment. All right, that is our best and worst, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. That's it for this episode of the pod. Big thanks once again to Isaiah Kiner for Leffa for jumping on with us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, at TalkSports808. Jordan, let's do it again soon, man. Take care, man.